Hey, this is Dave again. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View. Last week we went through and we talked about Horizons and all that was Horizons and the, the pavilion. And I'd like to make this a multi-part series because that, that went on to about the length I wanted to go, about a half an hour. So I wanted to continue on the path today and talk a little bit about what it was like to ride the attraction, to actually be on the attraction and go through it. A lot of you may not have ever been on the attraction, either maybe you were too young when it was built, maybe, maybe it was an overlooked attraction, maybe you just don't remember it all that well. So I'm going to do sort of a ride-through where I'm riding with you. So we'll run the audio from the attraction, and I'll voice over it with some of my own comments and thoughts and some of the things that I remember seeing, and maybe some of the backstory that I can recall. So we're, we're standing outside of the, uh, the attraction. Now, this attraction is really interesting. I mean, it, it looks like a giant space alien landed here. It's got this uh, sort of long shape, it's sort of a rectangular-shaped building that kind of slopes down in the front. Really kind of neat and interesting in the way that it's designed. It looks kind of futuristic, and it almost looks like you're looking out at the horizons. And as you walk up to it, there's the uh, General Electric logo. Uh, back in the early 80s, it was the General Electric logo. Uh, by the time you got to the 90s, they had removed the logo and just put the Horizon's little icon on it. So it just had the little icon at the bottom. So you'd be, uh, you'd be walking into the attraction. You walk straight into the building, and you're immediately... Uh, it's a dark ride, so you've, you're immediately inside in a dark uh, queue. And the, there's, like, all these purple lights that kind of illuminate the whole thing. So it's, it's an interesting uh, look at the, at the ride because it's, it's different than most of the rides. And the queue here, as you're walking along, you, you start to see, you get a sense of that you're going to be traveling, that you're going to be going somewhere. As you start thinking about where you're going to go, you walk up to the signboard that says Future Port. And uh, they've got some information on there about flights, destinations, the service, what gate it's going to be leaving from, and uh, the status. So it's almost like a, a flight board in terms of what you look at. So the flight board has, like, you know, Flight 24 to Mesa Verde. It's a, a Lev Express. Flight 83 to Horizons is a shuttle. There's one to Via de Mer, the SkyTrain. One to Bravo Centauri, the space shuttle. One to Ciudad Atlantica, the sea tram. And then to Astral Base 4, the space shuttle. They've also got uh, some information about departures. So there's one going to, uh, more going to Sea Castle, more going to some of the other destinations. They made up a number of destinations, and they kind of flash and they change a little bit, but the names themselves don't change. Which one is highlighted changes every once in a while. It's just kind of, you know, kind of a fun way to think about you're traveling, you're going somewhere. So they got the, the idea going. Then on the sign, as you're, um, as you're walking in, it says, uh, if we can dream it, we can do it, which I think is an important facet to this whole attraction, because that's really what it was all about. If we can dream it, we can do it. So as you go along, you're, uh, you're walking in and you're walking past the signboard thinking about taking this trip. And so you work your way in and you go through the queue and it's, it's kind of a long queue. And along the way, one of the things you see is there's, there's different areas with vignettes inside a window. So you look through a, a panel and you see something inside. And it's something like a model of uh, old old-time drawings from the past of, of the future. So people who had, who had kind of thought up the future. So there's some from the early 1900s and some from like the 20th century where you're looking at these views of, of potentially what the future might look like. So as you look through, it's visually interesting as you, as you go through. 
And then at some point you come up on little uh, screens that are giving you some information about commercials, basically. You know, come visit us at... Mesa Verde, the most advanced desert reclamation complex in the Western Hemisphere, invites you to explore its wide range of career possibilities. Maglev Express Service to Mesa Verde leaves every 30 minutes. Seacastle, the newest and most exciting floating city in the Pacific, invites you and your family to come away with us to the sea. Convenient daily departures by sea train and Skyline. Bravo Centauri, newest and exciting Centauri series of space stations, offers remarkably rewarding opportunities in Earth support vocations. Come up to Bravo. Space shuttles depart daily. The doors of your vehicle will close automatically. Please remain seated with your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. Then as you get in, you get inside the car, and the car is, is this four-person car. It's, a, it's the Omnimove, with the constantly moving cars, and you step on the moving walkway. And you walk on, and you get in, uh, you can have four people to a car. And you sit down, and you're facing one direction, you know, much like you do, say, in the Haunted Mansion or any of those rides. And they're moving you around a track to get you to the uh, to the path. You had your narrators who started off. The uh, the grandfather and the grandmother that ride through the attraction with you. So they're they're the narrators and they're telling you the story. The grandfather was played by Bob Holt. Bob, you may know, is a cartoon voice that appeared on a number of different shows. Uh, Scooby-Doo, the Smurfs, voices in, in various cartoons. But for me, for my money, uh, he, was, he was the voiceover that did the Kentucky Fried movie. And that was the, uh, the guys, Zucker and Abrahams, uh, who also did Airplane. This was the first movie that they did. Now, this is not a movie for kids, so I'm not recommending you go out and see it, but he did the voiceover, and that's, if you've ever seen the film, that's, that's the voice you probably would recognize. Now, it's Willer time. Time to kick off your sandals and pop open a Willer. The best tasted beer since 1892. So, kind of interesting, you know, very long life outside of uh, Disney, and I believe that was the only attraction he did for Disney. The grandmother was Dina Dietrich, and she did various roles on TV throughout her life, you know, heading into the, into the 2000s. She was still doing roles on TV. One of the classic roles that you may remember her from if you're from my generation was she was Nurse Betty in the TV show Emergency. It's just one of those kind of funny things when you think about it. She just, she just kind of popped up everywhere. So as you wrote in the attraction, the audio from the grandfather and grandmother was actually coming from the car, so you had it uh, and a speaker behind you. But most of the audio, other than that, was coming from the attraction itself. So as you pass through a certain scene, you'd hear the audio of people talking or music playing or some special effect that was going on, and it was actually coming from the scene you were in. Horizons 1 is now departing. Our final destination today, the 21st century. Hey, that's some destination. My wife's right. Where do you see the new towns of tomorrow? Desert farms and floating cities, even colonies in space. But you know, this isn't exactly the first time anyone's tried to make this trip. People have been dreaming about the future for centuries. And as you start off, in the early days, you passed this giant mural. And it was a mural that was painted by a, an artist from NASA, if I'm not mistaken, 
that was sort of a futuristic view of a city. And it was a really kind of a neat mural. I thought it was very clever. It had a really interesting design. I thought it was pretty intricate, and they had a lot of information. You know, visually stimulating, where you're looking at it, and every time you go through, you'd see something new, because it was just so detailed. A lot of different uh, pieces to it, where you're looking at this futuristic city. So you're looking clouds, at cloud cities, and sky cars, and all this other stuff. But yet, there, was, there were elements that were totally familiar and recognizable. I think that's one of the neater things that kind of made that made this attraction interesting in the early part of it as you were going along. You saw all these things kind of coming along and you you look at them. Later in the life of the attraction, they changed it to be lights. It was sort of like uh, lightning bolts up in the sky, you know, where it would just light up in a little place and then light up somewhere else as you were going along. And I think that was done late in GE's tenure to try and draw back the whole GE lighting uh, sort of thing. I'm, I'm not positive about that, but that's my impression of what it was doing. They kind of had a different idea for how to, how to approach it. So then you went to this, uh, this sort of lighting thing that they did. And it, it looked like clouds, and it looked like you know, lightning in the sky, and it was kind of neat in its, own, in its own way. Well, here, here's the stuff dreams were made of several hundred years ago. Yeah, it's always fun looking back at tomorrow. Come on, I'll show you what I mean. There's the grand old man himself. Jules Verne. This is the way a moonshot looked to him back in the late 1800s. Old Uncle Jules may not have had all the answers, but he had the right idea. He was just a little ahead of his And you're moving now into an area where you're starting to talk about what the future might have looked like to people in the past. And the first recognizable thing that you see is the Jules Verne image. Jules Verne is in a space capsule with a chicken and a dog, and he's floating around. And it, it captures the idea and the essence of what Jules Verne was all about because he was one of the one of the key figures in looking ahead to the future and some of the futuristic things that he thought of. And of course, Jules Verne played an interesting part in the uh, in the history of the Disney Company because um, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea was originally a Jules Verne novel. So there's an interesting side note there to why Jules Verne fits into this scene so well. Next up, you see the Man in the Moon. The Man in the Moon is another old idea of there being a man that's actually in the moon and someone launches a rocket ship lands in the in the moon's eye so what they've done is they project it onto a into a sphere the same image that's in that movie of the uh, the man's face and they put a physical rocket into that uh, into that picture to make it look right so it actually does capture the essence of the man in the moon so there's the uh, there's that image that you're looking at People have painted some pretty fantastic views of the future. And some pretty mixed up ones, too. Then as you went a little further, you kind of saw these little drawings. And they were like lit, uh, lit up drawings that they had like film projectors over that they'd show other pieces over it. So it would kind of change a little bit. It would get illuminated and just change a little as you went along. One of the scenes featuring the two-dimensional black and white cutouts is inspired by the 19th century artist Robita. His stylized view of the futuristic mass transportation was created over a hundred years ago. So it's the, the past looking ahead to the future. And so that's where you started, was really looking way back in the past, looking ahead to the future and, you know, what, what the future might hold. You know, they, what they did is they had these, like, projectors where they'd uh, shine some portion of it on there and you'd see different little pieces coming up at a time. So it, it was kind of neat because it became, became a little interactive. It looked more, um, more period-specific. So as you're looking at these things, you're in a futuristic building, but yet here's something that 
it doesn't Im involve any futuristic parts to it. Uh, they just created something that was very simple. So you'd have like a man in a, in a balloon, sort of a spacecraft type of thing, you know, some, some means for people to get around, different things like that appearing on the wall in front of you. And as you move along, you go further out to looking at a view from Paris in the, I guess this would have been the 1800s, when Paris had this sort of view of the future and they were building the Eiffel Tower and all these people had these great ideas for flying machines and futuristic ideas and futuristic concepts. Easy living. It's always been just around the corner. Next, you move into the cityscape, into someone's home. And here's something that's really fascinating about this one. This is one that I really like. What they did is they created this giant room where you're looking at several different scenes kind of all in one area. And what they did is they put a window in the back, so you're looking in like someone's living room. So again, back to that concept of, of the carousel of progress. You're in someone's house and you're looking in their, in their living room, but the living room stretches on into the kitchen. You know, so there's like a living room, then another room, then a kitchen that you're looking in. And all along the back, back wall is this giant glass window. And behind the window is this intricate, uh, detailed picture, drawing of a futuristic cityscape. And they, what they've done is they've really taken into account all the different things in the cityscape and looked at how the city kind of comes together. So they've, they've created this, you're in someone's house and you're out overlooking a, a futuristic city. It's very clever the way they've done it. In this section is another nod to the Carousel of Progress. As you're listening to it, in the background is the Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. And of course, the Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow song was originally the song that was in the Carousel of Progress that was hosted by GE at some point. And it was changed to be uh, Now is the Time, and then changed back to a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow in recent years. So there's that, that really tight nod in there. But the question is, is the family the same family that you saw in Carousel of Progress, or is it a different family? The intended experience is that it's, an, it's the extension of the family, that it's like a future generation of the family. Originally in the Carousel of Progress, you went to the turn of the century, the 20s, the 40s, and the 60s. And now we're scooting ahead to the 21st century, which would be 50 years later, essentially. And now you'd be looking at an extension of the family. Um, so it's really supposed to be the same family. If you look at the Carousel of Progress, you're in someone's house and you're looking out and you can see the city street behind them or you can see the laundry behind, uh, behind the first one or, or whatever it is. So you see those kinds of things. And here they've taken it a little bit further. So you start off with a man standing there looking out the window. He's wearing a smoking jacket and he's looking out the window. Then the next thing you see is a robotic butler and he's vacuuming the floor, which is kind of a clever little twist, right? You have the, robotic, the man standing there and the, the robotic butler is vacuuming. And as you go a little bit further up, see a man who's, who's sitting in, in a, like a barber's chair and there's an automated machine that's shining his shoes, shining his bald head and shaving him all at the same time. So you got this, this sort of image of something that's very futuristic where you have a machine that can do that. And you know the, the, the building itself is kind of neat because it's got multiple floors that you can see through some measure of course perspective where it looks like the second floor is a little bit off in the distance. So they scaled a little differently. But it's almost like you're looking at a cutaway of their house. So it's kind of neat because it just had this view of being in someone's house and kind of getting a view of what future life might be. Then finally, as it goes along, you get to the kitchen area. And in the kitchen, there's a robotic chef. 
and the robotic chef has made a mess of the kitchen. There are pots and pans everywhere. There's dishes stacked up all over the place. His head is spinning around. He's got a little chef's head on a, on a stand there, and it's spinning around. And it looks like he's gone crazy or broken or something, right? And he spilled some milk, and there's a cat on the floor licking up the milk. So it's a very clever sort of gimmick, you know, a little, little in-joke where you're looking at it, and, you know, here's the future kind of imperfect where the robot has gone crazy and made a mess of things, and the cat is getting the, uh, the mess because there's the milk on the floor. It's very clever. That's the typical Disney kind of thing where they put a little touch of humor in there to take it just a little bit outside the realm of static image. So you're taking it a little bit further. And I, I always found that to be kind of amusing when I'd see it because, you know, here it is, the future, the future, the future. Hey, we're just in time for the matinee. Yeah, looking back at tomorrow through the movies of yesteryear. Next, you move into what amounts to the 1950s, and they've got several TV screens that are showing old movies, and I'm not sure which movies they are exactly, but they're the standard fare of the drive-in movie theater of the 1950s, science, the science fiction type movies and the futuristic type movies. So you're looking at those as you kind of move on from this, from this earlier view of maybe the early 1900s, moving up to like the 1950s, where you're looking into the future. And it's got this futuristic view. And all of a sudden, things kind of change a little bit. Now it becomes a little more noisy. One thing I remember very well, there was always this noise that was kind of going on. It was almost like a, a machine running that they didn't, they didn't damp out. It was going, oh, oh, in the background. And I thought it was kind of funny. And I, I guess it's supposed to be like the roar of traffic, but I always thought it was kind of interesting how it fit into the scheme of what they were doing in, the, in, the attra- in this part of the attraction. And then as you went on a little further, you started to see the futuristic view of the 1950s looking ahead. And so what, all the, what they had was all these neon things, neon images of people dancing or people in space or a sock hop or whatever it might have been doing sort of things that might be in a very 1950-ish view of the future, which fits right in with the theme of what Disneyland was when it created Tomorrowland, had this view of the future, and that's really what that was all about. So they captured that again, and you go by this one part where it's these space cruiser-type things, there's, you know, there's supposed to be cars with huge tail fins, kinds of things going through a tunnel, and there's a sign that says speed limit 200 miles per hour. Nice little touch, right? very cute, and you get the sense of it's totally futuristic. These are cars that, that look so futuristic and something that's different. But it's the 1950s view of what's different. I suppose people have always used for the future. We sure do. The only difference is that today, with what we know and what we're learning to do, we really can bring our dreams to life. It takes a lot of work, but the truth is, if we can dream and then you go through a transition area. So now you've finished with the past from the future, and you're going through the entry area to the Omnimax Theater. And so they're doing this transition because, really, the physical nature of it was they had to take you out of that part of the building and move you into where the giant screens were. They had to take you in there, and so they did this through this transition. And this is where you see the IMAX film the Omnimax film, but there's a number of different images that appear. The sun. Today we're learning ways to harness its limitless energy.
seen in the Omnisphere Theater. DNA, a DNA molecule, the sun, a space shuttle, a space station, a cityscape, which in this case is New York City, Landsat or thermal photography, undersea exploration, and a microprocessor chip, and crystals. So you're looking at the, all these images that appear on the screen, and they're all kind of interesting and somewhat intricate, and it did a nice job of modeling these and putting them in this IMAX screen so you get this view that kind of surprises you a little bit as you kind of turn your way around through the different IMAX pieces to it, the Omnimax pieces to it. And this was a clever piece of technology because as I said, there were multiple Omnimax images that they had here. So you had multiple screens and as the car is moving along, the perspective is that it's not moving from your, from your point of view. And the way they did that was by having multiple screens that you turn into the camera is moving slightly to keep up with you at the same time, which is really kind of cool. The projection systems for the Omnisphere presentation utilize large format 70 millimeter film. To further increase the quality of the images, the film is run horizontally to allow an even larger frame size. And then once you're done, you, you exit, you go through the exit area, and again, you're leaving the area to go into another part of the exhibit. And because of the Omnimax theater, and the way the size of the theater goes, you had to actually exit there to go to the next part of the theater. grandfather for the first time. The man who's been narrating your trip is now viewable to you. Again, you enter another scene where you're looking into his house, and his house is in Nova Cité. He's playing music, and he's got the dog, the same dog that you see in the Carousel of Progress. So it's Queenie, or Rover, or Sport, or whatever the dog's name is, but you're seeing the dog sitting there, and you're getting that view into their life. So here's the, the grandfather and the grandmother living somewhere else. And so you've got the view there, and again, you've got the giant window behind them. But in this case, it's, it's like dusk, and the, the picture isn't as intricate behind them. They didn't do as much detail in the picture. But yet, it still gives you that image that you're somewhere else, that you're looking in someone else's house at, at some other location, that it's not as simple as just looking into, just looking into the Carousel of Progress's view where it's a, a static image. There's a little more happening here. And again, you can see off in the distance a little bit. You can see some of the other rooms in the house. And as you come through, they did a nice job of like opening up a couple of uh, rooms so you can kind of see through the house and see to another part. And there's like a door open so you can kind of see through a little more. And this is where Disney put in the, some of the Disney touches. <laughs> She's talking to our daughter. Yes, 
With biotechnology now, real, now reality, designers had the challenge of creating the plants which would be present in the future habitats. Some of the Disney-created plants include the Aeolian Harp, which uses a wind to produce music, the Golden Glow, which uses bioluminescence like a firefly to produce a neon glow, and Pananas, which are a combination of pineapples and bananas. And then also there was a couple of, uh, this was a place where they had a couple of hidden Mickeys. And in a future podcast, maybe we'll talk about the Hidden Mickeys to some degree. But uh, the idea was to really put the Hidden Mickeys and kind of tuck them in here. So they had a couple of planters that were arranged in a certain way, and they had a couple of uh, a couple of the plants were growing a certain way. They give you the Hidden Mickey, which I thought was kind of clever, just the way they set it up. I thought that was that was kind of a neat thing with the way they did it. Isn't it something? Send a city kid to college for seven years, and what happens? He becomes a farmer. Oh, I think agricultural engineer is a little more like it. Okay, but me, I'll take the city. Yes, it's always exciting. But hey, with today's transportation, we're just minutes away from our kids. You leave the grandparents' house, and now you're going to move on to the next part of the attraction. And the next part is moving on to Mesa Verde. And Mesa Verde was the, the desert scene. You've, you've come through the past. You've come all the way up to this point to get from the past and looking, looking forward to the future. Now you're coming to present day. And in present day, you're visiting the, this family. Again, Carousel of Progress-like. Now you're going to see the rest of the family. You've met the grandparents, but the rest of the family is further away. So you're going to go along and you're going to meet the rest of the family further up. So you're going to um, Mesa Verde now. The concept for Mesa Verde was to turn the desert into an irrigated place where you could actually grow things. And so Disney did a couple of things here. One, as you came into the room, you started to smell oranges. And they had this um, smellitizer which would uh, produce the orange scent for you as you're coming in. Now remember, these are not oranges, they're oranges. So it's a lime and orange hybrid. But you're coming into the room, and you're, you're starting to smell this, this thing. So out of the desert comes something, and it's a compelling smell. I mean, it, it's actually orange scent, so it really works. But you're, you're coming in, and it's something that's compelling and makes you kind of think about this attraction. It's something that really makes it stand out in your imagination, because you smell this. And you realize that you've been smelling it all along, you just didn't think about it. Now you're smelling it for, for the first time, where you're actually sensing it. You know that it's there. Look at that, will you? A few years ago, this was all barren desert. No crops, no irrigation. Quite a transformation. Hey, the latest weather forecast is calling for rain out of the north. I can see the clouds from here. The robots are giving out storm warnings, too. I mean, the wow. Yeah, one must send it all. Now, something I didn't mention is you're entering the room. There's a couple of little audio audio animatronic figures that are right there, and there's one that's clever that often gets overlooked. It's a it was a cat sitting right on the edge of a, a waterway, and he's swatting at a fish. 
that's kind of jumping in and out of the water and he's swatting at it. It's just one of those cute little touches that's kind of clever that mostly gets missed because it's out of, it's just beyond your field of view and you're starting to see the oranges come in. You kind of have to look down to see it. But it's one of those things that I remember looking for every time I went on this attraction just because it was kind of fun. And on the videos I, I was looking at, I don't see anybody who took the video of the cat swatting at the water, which is kind of funny, you know, kind of telling that it's just not an obvious little gimmick that was there. So just before you see the oranges, you'll, you'll see that come into view. And as you turn the corner... Well, I can see that this discussion of the ride-through is going to take longer than I thought it was going to. I had hoped to kind of push it all into about 30 minutes. But unfortunately, I've got too much to say about this attraction. There's just too many things happening. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to extend it out to a third podcast to go through the attraction itself and finish the ride-through and a little discussion about some of the things that you see in the ride-through. So we'll move that into next week's show. So we'll do a third show in about a week. And that will wrap up our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have feedback or thoughts, feel free to email me at dave at bitchindave.com. Always happy to hear feedback. I want to know what you think about the podcast.